0: With your permission, Lord Jesus Christ, truly present with us in the monstrance, also in the presence of the Blessed Virgin Mary. And we take this opportunity once again to thank you, Mary, for the Eucharist. Thanks to St. John Paul, moved by the Holy Spirit, we're reminded that the Eucharist ultimately is traced back to Mary's yes. And in spite of the warm afternoon and the long walks and the hill climbs, we want to get some insights, Lord, in your word. Because you reveal that your words are spirit and life, that we're nourished on your word. And if I lull you into a pious coma, offer it up, and sleep also becomes prayer, according to Saint Jose Maria and according to Pope Francis. And we want to bring to prayer the third element of the miracle of Cana. We took the liberty to see that miracle as an allegory of the new evangelization, wine being a symbol of the presence of Christ as a Eucharistic symbol. And the water, if you will, is a symbol of an absence of Christ. And we want that water to be literally converted into the life of Christ. Isn't that what evangelization is all about? It's being instruments of engendering the life of Christ in others. A humanly impossible task. We, as you get older, you'll see how impossible it is that the Lord asked for the whole world to come to His life, come into His light, and even one conversion. We experience how humanly difficult, probably the more precise adjective is impossible, it is. But with Our Lady, everything is possible. I can't ever forget that my own ordination day in this temple, it was a warm day, August 15th, uh, between the heat and nervousness. Uh, we were collectively wet, and uh, the main celebrant, which was a cardinal of the Curia, head of the congregation of the clergy, Cardinal Silvio Odi who was quite emotional during the whole ceremony, being a bona fide Neapolitan. And we were 58 men in the sacristy. I, may, I probably was the youngest, or the second youngest. And he was very accelerated, and he grabbed our hands, and each guy, he said in Italian, uh, senza lei non si può fare niente, without her you can't do anything. Don't forget it. Each guy. And that was it. They disappeared. He he needed to take a long siesta. He even missed dinner. This gentleman, you know, he's a a Neapolitan. So he missed his pranzo because he was so emotionally spent. And Lord, I want to convert to that. You know, that's a work of a lifetime. Without your mother, I can't do it. And Cana reminds us of that. But with due respect to the power of Jesus Christ and the power of the Blessed Mother's intercession, and I say this with respect, it's not enough. That's the most important element of the miracle. I mean, the most important part of the miracle is when Mary convinced them, you're going to produce wine somehow. Yes, but according to my own plan. And we see... In this very first miracle, God has willed it so. And we see it in the example of the saints. God does need us. That's why he calls people to follow him. He needs us to evangelize. And we see if someone is very holy, perhaps that person in question doesn't see it, but eventually it's seen that people are attracted to Christ. If they're not holy, they're less attracted to Christ, it's that simple. And so the Lord, we see that the Lord needs us, and following this allegory, there's a third step, it's the least crucial, but indispensable nonetheless. Okay, she's convinced him. He's gonna change his plan, now his hour has come, because Mary has prevailed on her son. His mother said to the servants, we are the servants of her son. And these are extremely loaded words. In this this phrase is contained, all four Gospels. And within those four Gospels, I want to focus on a certain part of the Gospel. Step number three. Step number one is speak with Mary. Step number two, Mary prevails on her son. Step number three is Mary's last words, last recorded words. Do whatever he tells you. Okay. Now, if this is not taken to heart, there's no miracle. Even though she got him convinced, she twisted his arm and convinced him to turn water into wine. Do whatever he tells you. And Lord, help us penetrate these words. Now, six stone jar, and this is very important to the allegory, because I looked up. It's between holds thirty to seventy gallons. I mean, I don't know. There's a margin of error of forty gallons, but anyway, even thirty gallons for me is a lot. But let's just say thirty gallons. Now, six stone jars were standing there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding twenty or thirty gallons. Okay, and let's just detain ourselves there. These are not just incidental statistics. This is an arid climate. This is two thousand years ago. You gotta get, you gotta fetch that water in an arid climate. And if they had an American mentality, I'm picking on us Americans. Very pragmatic. Well, listen, Lord, why don't we just get a glass and see what you do with it, and then if you get the glass, we'll take it from there. And what does Jesus say? Fill the jars with water. Let's be conservative. 20 gallons times 6, 120 gallons of water. It's a lot of water. It's not, a, it's not a gallon, it's not a quart, it's not a glass. 120. And what does that mean? I mean, this miracle was not something of... Three minutes This miracle probably took a few days, two days. They had, to get, they had to haul that water in. And it was a mighty sacrifice to get that water in. And they filled them up to the brim. Now, this is an insight of Saint Jose Maria that they were extremely faithful to those words of the Blessed Mother, "Fill the jars with water. No pushback, no argument. They filled those containers up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the steward of the feast. So they took it when the steward of the feast tasted the water, now become wine and did not know where it came from. Though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the steward of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, every man serves the good wine first, and when the men have drunk freely, notice not a puritanical environment there, then the poor wine, then the poor wine, but you have kept the good wine until now. So it just kind of reinforces that conversion, that that wine is so good, even though days of parting when they're a little bit numb to good quality wine, they're even picking it up, they're tasting a good wine. What is this do whatever you tell me to do? Let's look at what this means. Obviously it's all four Gospels, but within those four Gospels, Jesus only issues a command once. It's only one. And it is to love as he Has loved. That is essentially what Our Lady means when He says, "Do whatever He tells you to do." And what does this fetching water have to do with charity? It is to use an idea of Saint John Paul. It's uh, an expression of this total gift of self. Fetching the water. The water represents. All these, these scores of individuals who don't know Christ. We need to fetch them. How do we fetch them? And that, that idea of fetching, the miraculous catch. Again, there's that fetching. Uh, or, or bring the man with the withered arm to me. Bring him to me. The, 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 bring the blind man to me. There's a lot of fetching going on or fishing. In my experience, I'm... I do a little bit of work in a, an academic environment and uh, I, I'm grateful to God that I've seen a good number of conversions and I ask them, well, what's your story? And a lot of these academic types say that, well, I kind of read myself into the church, you know, that uh, I... I don't know, I read Saint, you know, one guy read Saint Irenaeus. You know, he died, I think, 180 AD. So he's one of the first fathers of the church. And he exhorts his people in Lyon to hearken back to the early tradition of the church. I guess he didn't realize that he is the early tradition of the church. And so these people have read themselves into the church. And I said, I "I don't believe you read yourself into the church. He said, well, I, I really did. I go, yeah, I know you read but I don't think that's the reason. There's always a person. Who is he or who is she? And, and, I'm, and 10 times out of 10 or 100 out of 100, there's always someone who typifies charity. And in this post-Christian environment, we need to always use the first catechism. We have to use our present catechism, but for, we need to use the first one. And Jesus does command us to use that very first catechism. And so let me read, I mean, here we could almost say that the Last Supper is a workshop, a retreat, a tour de force meditation, call it whatever you will, on the new evangelization. The first evangelization is new, by very fact it's new, first. And what does he do? Well, let's see what he doesn't do. He doesn't begin by exhorting. Interesting. He doesn't say, well, listen, I'm going to teach you men what's involved with this first evangelization. Or I'm going to teach you the rudiments of converting people. I'm going to give you a class on that. No, he doesn't do that. No, He doesn't begin with deep theological considerations. He doesn't give... Uh, profound class on the Trinity. He will reveal the Trinity within the Last Supper. He doesn't give a mini-series or a mini-class on the sacraments. He washes dirty feet. That's act one of do whatever he tells you. He washes feet. Of all the things he could have done, he washes feet. It's don't mean to distract, or, but since we're using role models here, when St. John Paul got the news of John Paul's first death and needed to return to Rome for another conclave, got ready, and he was as he was being driven to the airport, uh, an, a lady who was hysterical started to bang on his car window. He was in the back. He was being driven to the airport. And the lady, and he said, what, what can I do for you, ma'am? He says, I lost my cat. And he says, I, you know, I'm, that's all I have. That's, you know, uh, that's my pet. And I can't find my cat. And, you know, this is, this is big stuff. I mean, he's... Cardinal Wojtyla is shaken up because there's all sorts of prophecies of Polish popes. You know, so he has a lot on his mind. And what does he do? He said, "Well, let's look. Let's find the cat." And uh, he tells the driver, "Well, let's go around the block and look for the cat." He puts the, the woman comes in the car and they're circling around the neighborhood. And on the stoop, the cat is on the stoop in front of a house, and the pope. Or Cardinal Wojtyla says, is that your your cat? And he says, uh, and she says, indeed it is. And so he gets out of the car and helps her and gets the cat, gives the cat to the woman, they drive her back and off to Rome he does. So his last act as Archbishop of Krakow, at least according to the biography I read, was to find a lost pet for a lady. And (laughs) In his memoirs, uh, I think his memoirs of being a bishop, he said that he had a, a, an enlightenment from our Lord that every, anybody who would approach him, he would see as our Lord himself asking for help. He said he'd always see our Lord uh, asking for his services. So it wasn't just, you know, a gesture of isolated kindness, but it was was something very deeply seated. And so what does our Lord do? What's the first step? As we have echoed in our hearts, do whatever he tells you. And then we want our Lord to tell us what it means to wash feet. And during the supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son to betray him, Jesus knowing that the Father had given him all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper. So John makes sure that the reader knows Jesus was aware that he was God. Well, he had to. I mean, this was not a Holy Thursday ceremony. This was the real deal. This was real foot washing and feet were really filthy laid aside his garments and girded himself with a towel. I mean, this is the posture of a slave. That's the vestiture of a slave, being girded. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. He came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing now you do not know now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash your feet, you have no part in me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus, And what, what is Jesus saying? If you're going to... If you're going to launch into this den of iniquity, that is ancient Rome, you've got to be on that wavelength. And, and, and I know it's a work in progress. I said it facetiously, but I, I think I got on two people's nerves. One was a bishop and one was a monsignor. I was just kidding. and. Uh, we were having dinners a few years ago, and uh, and they were just citing different priests. You know, he's getting his doctorate here, he's working in the Vatican there, he's, has a, this other guy has a chancery job, and speaking about, well, you know, who's who could be Episcopal? You know, and that's always, you know, he was vice-rector there, or he was professor of dogmatics, or he was professor of fundamental theology or all these kinds of credentials, which are are bonafide credentials. Um, Administrative experience, that was being cited. And I said at dinner, I said, really, but what's really at issue? And they said, okay, Pete, what's really at issue? I said, what's really at issue is how good of a foot washer, how good of a foot washer someone is. What? I said, yeah. I think last time I checked, the great high priest did a lot of foot washing and commanded the first ones to foot wash. And I, I got some dirty looks. Not that they disagreed with the gospel, but I, was, I guess I was passing for a little bit of a Pollyanna or a goody-goody. So I kept silent for the rest of the conversation, lest I get, on, lest I get ejected from the dinner table. But that's what's at issue, and i got to ask myself the question, And I can always improve as a foot washer. And probably part of my confession is that I failed as a foot washer. Someone was inconvenient. Someone was inopportune. uh, Someone's temperament doesn't square with mine. And I refuse to wash feet. No need to get discouraged. But what I need from you, Lord, is that that's a priority. That I, that I deliver on this, that in spite of you, we all have our gifts and talents, but th- those are very secondary. And in fact, Saint Paul says they're nothing. In comp- if if we don't have charity, every the greatest talents we could have, you know, we could be you know mesmerizing preachers and uh, erudite teachers and. Great multitaskers. Paul, don't give me dirty looks. Paul Paul said, without charity, that doesn't doesn't go anywhere. You're like a clanging cymbal. Lord, convince convince me of that. I need more faith to be convinced of that. Okay, let's keep going. Uh, When he had washed their feet and taken his garments and resumed his place, he said to them, "Do you know what I have done to you? You called me teacher and Lord, and you are right. And Lord in the Old Testament also means God. How If I, then your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Now, now you're hearing ought. You must." These are commands. Do whatever he tells you. Okay. The, this has a tone of commandment. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Now, when I first got in touch with Opus Dei, Jose Maria Escrivat already had a reputation of being holy. And right after or before his pilgrimage to Our Lady of Guadalupe, he got together with a group of Americans in Mexico. And he said to them, he said, said, uh, I'll I'll probably never see you again. He said, I want to leave you with something. He said, you have a great country. You work very hard. He said, but you need more heart. I mean, he wasn't correcting the 30 people in front of him. He said, but you need more heart. He says, you put work in front of people something to, to that effect. He said, you've got to love one another more. You've got to be more human with each other. He said, that's what I want to leave you. And of course we have big hearts. We, we wouldn't be dressed in black if we didn't. Not the, but we need more heart. Because uh, you know, that, this, this pragmatism this, this craze to get things done to get things out of the way to be efficient to practice uh, to almost a neurotic level pathological level time management is it important? of course it's important you know, efficiency is a good thing order is a good thing but it has to be subservient to people how do I Put on Jesus Christ. i got to hang around with our Lord in the Eucharist. His love rubs off. That's why the piety is so important. St. Maria says that, and I'm going to paraphrase from Forge, he says, don't write yourself off. Okay, you know, listen, I just don't have the capacity to have a lot of heart or to have a lot of affection. He says, you, you do have it, he says. I'm paraphrasing. He said, it's always in function of piety. He says, the the more you deal with the source, the, the ultimate source of love, which is the heart of Jesus, the more you're going to love others. And he says, the more you connect with him, the more you're going to love others. And I remember, you know, I'm going to brag a little bit, supernatural bragging. I met three recognized saints by the church. Mother Teresa. As I was saying mass for her community many years ago in Chicago. The one I knew the best was uh, Blessed Alvaro, and uh, I was able to uh, exchange words with Saint John Paul a couple of a couple of occasions. And different vocation, different circumstances, but there, there, there is a number of common threads. Let me st- Speak briefly about the one I knew the best, Blessed Alvaro. When just not me, but when I was in his presence, I was the most important person on his radar screen. And I've told this before, I remember, you know, he was seeing the Holy Father. Every day, he was helping the Holy Father uh, uh, get ready for his first pastoral trip, to, which was to Mexico, and I think he never said it, but uh, you know, I think it's obvious he had a hand in helping him put together the consecration uh, the Pope made to Our Lady of Guadalupe. Uh, Blessed Alvaro's mother uh, lived in Mexico, uh, grew up in Mexico, so he had he reflected a Mexican nationality as well. And I remember him, you know, we both walked into headquarters. He came in one door, I came in another door, and I tried to avoid him. Everybody liked to talk to him. I mean, I did too, but I said, hey, listen, he's seeing the Pope. He has bigger fish to fry than this, I don't know, 22 year old guy, 23 year old guy. And he said, Peter, where are you going? And he says, listen, you know, I like your jacket. It was very loud, with little strands of hair coming off of it. That's why God called me to the priesthood. Uh, I was a very loud dresser. And he was the only one who ever said I looked elegant. You know, the other others said that uh, I lacked class in the way I dressed, too loud, drawing attention to myself. Denim jackets with ties and you know, that kind of stuff didn't really fly in Europe. Anyway, but he kept talking. If I was eating well, did I get used to the diet? I Writing to my parents what kind of job I had. Everybody had a small job. I had landscaping, and he wanted to know about that. And, you know, if I didn't know the circumstances, I would say, he has time on his hands. And he, no, no sense of rushing. And you're always, you had his undivided attention. And God rest his soul, and I would, I'm morally certain that he's a saint as well. The, you know, his right-hand man, who was also the prelate, now we call him Don Javier because he's died. I would say the same sensation, totally different personality. A great listener. And always, you know, a smile on his face, always very interested in you. That's that's the foot washing the Lord wants. I mean, our Lord wasn't constantly washing feet. He was washing feet when he said hi to somebody. He was washing feet when he said thank you. He was washing feet when he was tending to a sick person. He was washing feet when he corrected someone. That attitude of washing feet was always there. And so he says, so he says, so he continues, for I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Now now, now he's using the words ought and should and command. Okay, new, new vocabulary. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. And then he wraps it up, and we'll finish. I'll wrap this up. A new commandment I give you that you love one another as I have loved you. Help me work on it, Lord. Show me, and we're all different. How can I show more affection? To, first, to my brother seminarians, my brother priests, more joy, just little things, more spirit of service. And maybe we could finish with this and ask Mary to reinforce this point in the way. Following the words of another writer, I tell you that your apostolic life, and let's change that phrase to life of charity, is worth only as much as your prayer. Then, and only then, will water be converted into wine. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you have communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help in putting them into effect. My Immaculate Mother St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.